Thank you for joining us here at Life Church. It's an honor to share God's word with you today. Our prayer is that you will connect with Jesus Christ as you hear his word online. We'd love to have you visit one of our upcoming gatherings. For more information, visit us online at www.liferva.org or contact our church offices and we'll be happy to help you in any way that we can. Let's go now to one of our recent services where you can experience a life-giving message from God's Word. Amen, amen. It's good to see everybody here today, and it's good to be at Life Church to celebrate Jesus together. And uh, if you're thankful to be here today, uh, why don't you just say, uh, thank you, Jesus. Amen, amen. If, uh, well, if you've been at all attentive in our world today, if you've paid attention to the news or the paper or the internet, or any other source of information in our world, you'll realize that our world right now at times can seem to be filled with chaos and confusion and stress. Uh, every day we hear of more political division, social strife, economic struggles, people's retirement plans are coming unglued, the stock market's like a really bad roller coaster ride. Uh, we're living in an opioid epidemic, a mental health crisis, a sickness continues to rob people of peace. On and on, negativity and bad reports. We live right now in a real world that is filled with real chaos and confusion and stress and life can appear to be spinning out of control. Uh, there is a constant demand of attention to focus on the problems that surround us every day. And the truth is, the more it spins out of control and the more we place our focus on the problems, the more we feel as if there is no hope, no peace, no no, it just seems hopeless. Despair, despondency, agony, and misery on me. If you watched Hee Haw, you'll know that uh, if, there was no if there was nothing but bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Uh, in the midst of all that, we come upon the holiday season, and Sister Jennifer and her family did an amazing job decorating for us for Christmas, and everything looks so beautiful. But we come upon the holiday season where people suffer with depression and loneliness more at this time of the year than just about any other. And the truth is that during the Christmas season, we see cards and we see displays and we hear songs and we hear stories all declaring this to be the most wonderful time of the year. Uh, it's really the joyous expression of the season. And yet for a lot of people, the one thing that they're missing in life is real joy. In the midst of all the chaos going on in our world today, in the midst of confusion and stress, and wouldn't it be great if you could discover a joy in Christ that will remain, that will simply bring a calm in the midst of the chaos, that simply provides you peace in the midst of the storms of life? Is it possible to live your life in such a way that you can experience the joy of Jesus Christ always? In spite of your circumstances, in spite of the conditions of the world, in spite of all the chaos you may be experiencing at your home. Last week, Pastor preached a message, and I'm kind of tagging in this week to do part two, if that's all right. Uh, last week, he preached thankful in, about being thankful in tough circumstances, and uh, I, I thought that was such a powerful message. At, at the end of it, I told him, I feel like you're stepping all over my stuff for next week. Um, but no, uh, I feel like it was such a, such a way to lead us. My wife looked over at me midway through the service. She said, I feel like the Lord has been taking us in a path over the last month of, of all of these messages and all of these sermons that are dealing with real issues in our lives and helping us to 
have real responsibility to take those things to God and let God work through us so that we can be thankful in tough times and so that we can live a life that's pleasing to God and that we can live in such a way, not just in theory, not just in nice thoughts, but live practically in such a way. These messages have been so practical to help us live daily in our lives for Jesus Christ. And so I call your attention this week to the book of Philippians, and I'll be looking primarily at the first chapter, but I'd like to begin with a statement that Pastor read last week from the fourth chapter, Philippians chapter 4, beginning at verse 4, it says, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Now, if you ever hear or read in Scripture where somebody, particularly the Apostle Paul, says, I, I say it again, right? He, he, he says something, and then he'll say, and I say it again. It's usually something that ought to, that's a context clue that ought to catch your attention because it means it's something important. And here he says, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. We have a tendency not to do the first half, and so he's reminding us, you got to do it again. you got to be reminded again. And as I read Paul's statement, I believe it begs the question, can you always be full of joy? Can you be full of joy? Can you be joyful no matter what? And that's my title for today, Joyful No Matter What. Pastor mentioned this past Sunday the biggest problem with any discussion of joy is that most of the time we assume that joy is synonymous with another word, uh, that that word is happiness. And in the English language, joy and happiness are pretty much the same. But when it comes to the Bible, when it comes to spiritual matters, they aren't even anywhere close to being equivalent. See, happiness is tied to events or happenings or things that happen to us or happen around us. Therefore, they can be influenced. Our happiness can be influenced or determined by our circumstances. Our happiness can be influenced by the chaos that's going on in our world. Our happiness can be influenced by an argument you had with your spouse. Your happiness can be influenced by the stuff that's happening all around you. And yet God tells us to live with joy all the time. And so if joy and happiness are equivalent and happiness can be determined by events that are happening around me, then it is impossible for me to live with joy all the time because all the circumstances going on in my life are not happy. And so therefore we recognize that they are very much different. And so when we look in the Bible, we see the word joy. It's not the word happiness. The word joy comes from a Greek word kara, which means a calm delight. It means a sense of calm when things are going on around me. It means that in my spirit, I have a sense of peace and calm about me. When all the world could be going crazy in chaos, I have found a place of calm delight in the Lord that I can't find anywhere else, and I can be filled with his joy all the time. Joy is not being up one minute and down the next. It is a consistent moment-by-moment a stable part of my life, a life in Christ that was meant to be spirit-filled and calm with delight. That's what the kind of joy we're talking about today. It's not swayed by circumstances. It's simply found and experienced in the consistent presence of God. It's an assurance in God that will remain and will bring a calmness and a peace to us despite the turmoil or the chaos of our circumstances. That's why the Bible declares in his presence is fullness of joy. If I get in his presence, I can be joyful. 
And so how do I get in his presence? Well, the Bible declares very openly that we enter into his gates with thanksgiving, enter into his courts with praise. If I want to get into the presence of God, it begins with what we talked about last week, being thankful no matter what the circumstances look like. It means an expression of thanks that says, I serve a God who's able to do exceeding abundantly above all. Even if I don't feel it, even if I don't see it, I thank you in advance for the work you're doing. I can be thankful in all circumstances. And then I can begin to lift up praises to him. A lot of times we talk about praise and we have in our mind what praise looks like. We have in our mind based on our past history, the way we grew up, who we are, how, what praise is supposed to look like. But praise is simply an expression of the greatness of God and his blessings in my life. It's a declaration of how good he is. When Lisa was up here this morning talking about the goodness of God, she was giving praise to God, calling attention to his goodness and his greatness in our life. That's what praise is really all about. No matter what the expression looks like, it might be dancing, it might be running, it might be jumping, it might be lifting your hands, it might be bowing on the floor kneeling and crying. But whatever it is, it's an expression of God's greatness and his goodness in our life. And when we do that, we get into his presence where we find fullness of joy. It is an assurance in God that he will remain and bring a calmness and a peace to us despite the turmoil or the circumstances that we're in. Now today, we're going to be looking at a little bit of a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church in a province of Greece known as Philippi. His letter we know as the book of Philippians. It's one of my favorite books of the Bible. There are amazing verses of scripture in this, uh, contained in this four-chapter letter that Paul writes that are synonymous with Christian doctrines and just our way of thinking in regards to the lordship of Christ. It's contained there. Christian theologians, when discussing the book of Philippians, though, they all seem to concur that the real overriding theme of the book, it is that is a letter that is meant to express Paul's joy in the Lord. Now, before I jump to, too deep into my thought for today, a couple of co contextual things to keep in mind as we study the book of Philippians. Paul established the church at Philippi following a stint in a Philippian jail where he and Silas had a midnight praise and worship session. And an earthquake broke out and all the prisoners were set free. You can find that story in Acts chapter 16. The jailer who was ready to commit suicide out of fear because he thought he'd lose his job because all the people had left winds up taking Paul and Silas after Paul reassured them that nobody had left the jail after all. He took them home where he and his household readily received the word of God and they readily received the message of salvation. And from there, Paul established his first church on the European continent in the city of Philippi. Now, Paul seems to have a real heart connection to this church at Philippi. Uh, he acknowledges his great love for this church and, and the kindness that he had felt from them. And I think some of that is in part because of how the church was established. Paul established this church at a time when he was pretty low point. Him and, him and Silas were in the lowest part of the jail and had to sing praises to God just to lift their spirits at all, and God moved there. That would set me on a course where I'd feel a heart connection to a certain place, I would imagine. I also think that Paul's heart connection to the city of Philippi goes with Paul's calling because right before he goes across the Mediterranean Sea to begin his ministry in Europe, he had had a dream where he saw this man saying, come over here and help us. Come over uh, to, to, to Macedonia and help us. And he had his Macedonian call. And that trip took him from a mission, missionary journey that he was headed to Asia. And he turns and makes a U-turn and goes across the Mediterranean Sea into Europe and begins really the European 
ministry of, of Christ that began, it started in the first church in the, book, in, in the city of Philippi. And what I love about that is from there, the gospel spread all across Europe and until about the 1500s when some guys got on a boat and came over here and, and on the Mayflower and they brought Jesus to the United States of America. And so that's why we're here today. It wasn't the United States then, obviously, but that gospel that Paul preached is what caused from Philippi to spread all across the known world. And so we can be thankful for that today. But Paul really seems to have a heart connection to the church at Philippi, and he acknowledges that. And he wrote this letter to the Philippian church from a Roman prison while awaiting execution. It was meant as a thank you for an offering that a man named Epaphroditus had brought to him while he was in prison. And more than likely, Paul, Paul actually spoke, and Timothy probably wrote this letter on Paul's behalf because at the beginning of it, he says, I, Paul, and Timothy uh, greet you. But Paul is in prison in Rome, and his execution is pending. He's locked up 24 hours a day. He's chained to a Roman soldier. And according to Acts 28, he's chained in that prison for at least two years. So this wasn't just an overnight stay. It wasn't a weekend that he had to spend in jail because he got drunk and had a good time. This was a long, drawn-out process. He is beaten. He is whipped. He is chained. And it's in horrible conditions day after day after day for over two years. Now, maybe you think a two-year stint in prison is not that big a deal. And by today's standards, it's not. I mean, they have air conditioned, three good meals, cable television, college classes. For some people, it's a picnic. But in Rome, in the first century, a Christian in a Roman prison awaiting execution was not a happy circumstance. And yet, in spite of those circumstances, in spite of the conditions, the one word that summarizes Paul's attitude during this period in his life is joy. There was always one place Paul wanted to get to. If you study history, you'll know that Paul always preached about wanting to get to Rome. That's what he wanted to do. He wanted to go and share the gospel in Rome. Rome was like New York City in our day. It was the mecca of industry, a philosophy of power. And Paul wanted to get there to preach the gospel because he knew if he could preach the gospel in Rome, it would spread around the world. He didn't realize that his arrival there would not be as a preacher, but as a prisoner. In other words, the thing that Paul wanted the most, his life's dream, his greatest expectation, was all stripped away, torn from underneath him, and yet he writes this amazing joy-filled letter to the church at Philippi. Now, I believe with all my heart that today something that I'm going to say is going to speak to someone here today because there are some of us who are here who it will dawn on you somewhere through this message that you wish there was something different in your life. If only this thing was different. If only these events had occurred differently. I thought that by now I would have reached this by this age in my life. I would have accomplished this. I thought things would be different. There may be some things this morning, some regrets, some misplaced desires that are nagging you and robbing you of fulfillment in Christ, and you just wish things were different. The Apostle Paul wished he could go to Rome, but when he got there, he was chained up in prison, and his expectations were different than what he thought they would be. And maybe you know what that feels like. You finally got what you thought you wanted, but the expectation of what you got and what you actually received are two different things. You got some things in your life you would change if you could. Who'd be honest enough to say this morning that there's some things in my life I'd like to change? Amen. Well, that's great for all the rest of you. 
you must have an amazing life. <laughs> Those that raise your hands, you stick around. I've got a message for you. The rest of you, have a good day. No, I'm just kidding. <clears throat> I got lots of stuff I'd like to change. What in your life would you change if you had the power to do it? What would you change? If you could change one thing in your life, anything, what would it be? Let me share with you a story. How many of you would acknowledge that, if you didn't, even though you didn't acknowledge the last thing, you'll still acknowledge, <laughs> I had a bad day. I had a bad day this week. Maybe, okay, all of us have had a bad day. You had a bad day where life was frustrating and you just, it was rough. Now, if you did, just for fun, I found this article, maybe a blessing to you if you've ever had a bad day. I've shared this story once before in 2013, so if you heard it then, don't give away the punchline. This was taken from a Florida newspaper, so I'm assuming it's a true story. <laughs> Here goes. It says, a Florida man, which is always interesting. If you do some research, you'll discover that every great, wild, interesting news story begins with a Florida man. So a Florida man was working on his motorcycle on his patio, and his wife was in the house in the kitchen. He's racing the engine on the bike, and somehow it slips into gear. Still holding onto the handlebars, the bike shoots through the glass patio door and drags the man into the house where the bike crashes on the dining room floor. The wife, hearing the crash, runs into the dining room and finds her husband lying on the floor, cut and bleeding, the motorcycle laying next to him, and the patio door is shattered. She runs to the phone. She calls for an ambulance. They apparently lived up on a hill because uh, she went down several flights of stairs to the street to direct the paramedics to her husband. After the ambulance arrives, they transport him to the hus to husband to the hospital. The wife sits the motorcycle upright. She pushed it back outside, and she notices that gas has spilled on the floor. She takes several paper towels, she blots up the gas, and she threw the towels into the toilet. The husband was treated at the hospital, and, she released, and he was released to come home. She goes and picks him up, and after arriving at home, he looks at the shattered patio door, the damage done to his motorcycle, and he becomes despondent. He goes to the bathroom, and he sits down on the toilet, and he smokes a cigarette. After finishing the cigarette, he flips it between his legs into the toilet bowl while still seated. Let us pause for a moment of reflective silence and prayer. The wife who was in the kitchen hears a loud explosion and her husband screaming. She runs into the bathroom and she finds her husband lying on the floor, his pants blown away, and he's suffering burns on his legs and backside. The wife again calls for an ambulance. The same crew was dispatched. The wife meets them at the street. The paramedics loaded him on the stretcher and began carrying him to the street. And while they are going down the stairs, one of the paramedics asked the wife how her husband had burned himself. When she shared the horrific story, he started laughing so hard he tipped the stretcher over and the husband was dumped out. He falls down the remaining steps and breaks his arm. So, you had a bad day? So answer me this. Can we be joyful no matter what? The answer is absolutely. Maybe not that guy, but absolutely. <laughs> and the key is found in the book of Philippians. Everything that Paul had dreamed for himself was stripped away. 
underneath of him the platform that he had built for himself to preach the gospel around the world taken away and he finds himself in prison and yet he found a way to be joyful in spite of those circumstances so how do we do it we're going to start today with a foundational thought when chaos and confusion come into our life we must learn to ask the right questions instead of asking why which is our human nature and it's our tendency we we always want to ask why, right? Why? I don't understand. Why, why, why? Why is this happening to me? I'm a good person. Why is all this bad stuff? I don't understand why, right? That's how we talk. Don't you talk that way? That's how I hear it anyway. But Paul, Paul doesn't do that. He doesn't say, why am I chained to this guard? Why am I in prison? I wanted to come here to preach. Why is this happening to me? Nope. Instead, he learned to ask the question, what? And that's the first question that we're going to ask is, now what? Everybody say it. Now what? Now what is God doing? Now what is God's purpose? Now what does God want to show me? Now what does God want to do with the situation that I'm in? Now what is God trying to accomplish in my life through what I'm going through right now? Everybody say now what? Philippians 1, 12 through 14, Paul says, And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news for everyone here including the whole palace guard knows that I am in chains because of Christ and because of my imprisonment most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear instead of Paul asking why were these things happening to him instead he responds with an understanding that what was happening to him was causing the message of Christ to go forward and people to experience the gospel in a real way now what i want you to know brothers what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel to me the untrained eye it looks like a tragedy but if you have eyes to see you're going to see what god is doing in the midst of those circumstances to the untrained ear it sounds like a really rough circumstance but if you have ears to hear you're going to hear that God is actually working in the middle of the toughest of circumstances to bring about his goodness and glory in the midst of it verses 13 and 14 that I just read Paul acknowledges as a result it had become clear throughout the whole palace garden to everyone else that he was in chains for Christ and because of those chains most of the other Christians who had been maybe not as vocal with their faith had been encouraged to begin speaking the Word of God more courageously and living fearlessly what was he saying well I'm chained up 24 hours a day to a Roman soldier and others are saying because of what Paul is going through we better get out there and begin to share the message because we can't count on Paul at the moment to be the voice of all of Christianity we got to be out here sharing Jesus with them and here's what's awesome the very chains that looked like they would bind him and hold the message hostage and hold the gospel from going forth were actually the chains that God was using to set the message free why is that Paul wanted to reach Rome that was his aim that was his goal that's what he wanted to do and so as Paul got to Rome he began to reach Rome by reaching the Roman soldiers that he was chained to and announcing to the world this message that was going forth every six hours they'd give Paul a new convert didn't know it was going to be a convert but after six hours chained to Paul they probably was like either I need to convert or I'm gonna go crazy 
Four times a day, he got a new opportunity, a new fresh face who was chained to him and forced to listen to him share the gospel of Christ. After all, it was Paul who said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation to anyone that believes. After a while, you begin to wonder who the real prisoner was, don't you? <laughs> Today, ask yourself, what are the chains that are binding you? That thing you wish you could change, the very thing that you feel may be restricting you, that thing that if you had the power, the money, whatever it is to change, you would do it today. It may be the very thing that God wants to use to release you into doing something amazing for him. God can do amazing things, unbelievable things. He still loves to blow our mind. I've been around the things of God since I was six years old, and he never ceases to amaze me. He can take the people that everybody else would pass over or give up on and ask them and use them to do the unbelievable. He can take the stuff that everybody else calls worthless, and he can make it priceless. He makes it his business to reach the unreachable and to search the unsearchable and to open the unopenable and to bring wonder and amazement to a world that really thinks it's seen it all. And in your life today, he will change what you have labeled as an obstacle into an opportunity if you'll let him. That thing that you would change right now if you could, it could be an opportunity to something greater if you'll trust God with it. He can take what you defined as a setback and use it to set you up for a greater opportunity in the future. The very thing you wish you could change, those chains that seem to bind you could be the very thing that God would use to set you free. What are you chained to this morning? A problem? Struggling relationship? Physical calamity? Financial struggle? tough stuff in your marriage what is it that you're chained to this morning that very thing if you had the ability or the power that you would most likely change in your life could be the very place that God does his greatest work you may say today I feel like I'm a prisoner of you can fill in the blank this is what holds me captive you need to understand that just like the Apostle Paul you are no ordinary prisoner you aren't just some ordinary convict on cell block D. You are no ordinary prisoner. You are a prisoner with a purpose. You are in chains for Christ. If you want to live with joy when something happens in your life, the first thing you need to ask is, now what? When the circumstances seem overwhelming, you need to say, now what? Now what are you up to, God? What is it that you want to do with my life? What are you trying to accomplish? What are you doing with what I'm at right now? What's the next step? What's my next plan? Whatever it is, God, I'm willing to do it. I just need to know, what are you up to here? Let's do it, God. What are you up to? I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to look at my circumstances and, and bellyache and, and moan and groan. Oh, no, no, no. I'm going to say, God, what are you up to? I want to be involved with it. Now what's he doing? What's his purpose? Now what? And then the second thing that we're going to say, and this one you have to say with a little attitude. I'm just going to be honest with you. You've got to have a little attitude or it doesn't really work. We're going to learn to say, so what? <laughs> Paul learns to say on things that don't matter, he says, so what? In fact, to understand this, you have to understand what was going on at the time. There were some people who were preaching Christ. And because Paul was locked up, they saw it as their opportunity to gain popularity and surpass the Apostle Paul. And that's where others, these were others who were preaching Christ, and they were preaching it for financial gain, they were preaching it for opportunity for fame, 
And here's what Paul says about it. Philippians 1, 15 through 18, he says, It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry. Others preach Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I have been appointed to defend the good news. Verse 17, those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains even more painful to me. But that does not matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way, so I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. Paul says, what does it matter? The word literally means, what does it matter? Everybody say, so what? what? He said, so what? What does it matter? Who really cares? The important thing to the Apostle Paul is that in every way, whether from false motives or true motives, Christ is preached. And because Christ was preached, Paul had joy. He said, because of it, I rejoice. I wish it wasn't that way. I wish everyone who proclaimed the name of Jesus always did it the right way with the right motives. It kind of offends me that they don't, but at the end of the day, if you boil it all down, what does it really matter? I'm not going to get myself all worked up about it because if you boil it down, Jesus is being preached, and for that, I have joy. So when you run into something that starts to steal your joy, if in the grand scheme of things it really doesn't matter, so what? The truth of the matter is that there are some things that are very important, and when we run up against those things, that are very important, we address it, we take it to God with intensity and with fervency and with passion, and we seek God for it. But generally, the things that freak most of us out, Pastor talked about it, 90% of the things that we worry about, we can't do anything about anyway. The things that freak most of us out are the little things that really don't matter. It's the little things that make me go home cranky. It's the little things that brings fights into a lot of marriages. The Bible says it's the little foxes that spoil the vines. If you don't believe the little things matter, go home this afternoon, put a small pebble in your shoe, and walk around for 10 minutes. I promise you, you will discover that the little things matter. But so many times, it's the little things that rob us of our joy. It's the little things that bombard us with feelings that are contrary to the plan that God has for our life. We need to learn to say, so what? Get the rock out your shoe and go on. So what? Try it with me. So what? Here's how you can judge if you can say so what. Ask yourself, what will this matter 100 years from now? If it doesn't, so what? What will it matter in light of eternity? If it doesn't, so what? So what's really the most important thing right now? That which is important, I'm going to address But everything else, I'm going to learn to say, so what? Your car broke down. So what? I know it's a big deal to you. It's the most beautiful car you've ever seen in the world. You got it all shiny, waxed up, looking nice, and it broke down, and now you're mad. You had a full tank of gas, and now you can't go anywhere. I get it. It's terrible. But in light of eternity, that old rust bucket is going to turn into a rust bucket, and that's all it's going to be. It will go back to dust. So what? I'm not going to lose my joy over a broken down car. I know it's a pain. It's going to cost you a few extra dollars. But 100 years from now, it's not going to matter at all. I'm not going to let it steal my joy. You don't like your job. So what? Go to work and work. Quit complaining. Are you going to let that rob you of your joy? Or are you going to see if maybe God may have a purpose for you being there after all? 
So what? So-and-so doesn't like you. So what? There are plenty of people out there that you can learn to like. Go find somebody else. Are you here to please people or are you here to please God? Your hair is thinning. So what? Well, y'all don't agree with that one quite so much. I went to the, get my hair cut this week, and the lady told me it was thinning, like, right here. And I was like, oh, Lord. And then I started studying for this message, and I thought, so what? I know that's not too convincing. So what if you got more hair on your back than on your head? So what? I mean, 100 years from now, what's it going to matter, right? We're all going to be bald. <laughs> Some things do matter. And for those, we take to God and we get an answer. But if it does not matter, don't let yourself get derailed and sidetracked fighting battles that don't matter. They serve only to rob you of your joy. Learn to say, so what? Some of us come in here sometimes so clouded, our minds so filled with all kinds of stuff that we can't even experience the presence of God because as we're sitting here, our mind is running down this trail and that trail, thinking about this thing and that thing, and I've got to do this, and this person hurt me, and this thing's going on, and all this stuff clouds our mind to the place that we can't even experience the presence of God, and then we wonder why we don't have joy. All those things that are clouding your mind, if they're important, yes, take them to God. But if they're not, say so what and get in his presence so you can be filled with joy. Is the state of being joyful no matter what even possible? Absolutely. Because when bad things happen, I say, now what? What are you up to, God? And when trivial things happen, I say, so what? It really doesn't matter. I just want to connect to Jesus. Now, I'd be lying to you, which is never a good thing if you're standing up here. Uh, if I told you that I had arrived at all this, that my life is overflowing with unending, abounding waves of joy. As I begin to study this, I begin to ask God, okay, God, the stuff that's bugging me right now, what's your plan with that? What's your purpose? I know you must have one. And there's some other stuff, God, that I've really been fretting about that I used to let it eat my lunch get me so worked up, but I'm, I'm fighting and I'm learning to say, so what? It's really not important. So I'm closer than I've ever been to living a life of joy, and I'm striving to have this constant calm delight in God, this constant state of joyful existence, being joyful no matter what. But I'm not there yet, and maybe you're like me. Maybe you're not there yet either. You're still working on some stuff. I just want you to know today that it's okay. It's okay to be working on stuff. We are all in constant state of work. And if you're not working on yourself, if you're not working on getting better, if you're not working on growing closer to God, then that's when you're in trouble. I want to work on stuff. I want God to help me through some stuff. I want to acknowledge that I ain't got it all together sometimes so that God can work in my life. But Paul ends this chapter of, first chapter of Philippians with this next level thinking, really. I'll call it today the ultimate, ultimate joy. Let's just call it the ultimate joy. It should be every one of our goals to get to the place where we have this ultimate joy. I believe some people live there. Most of us, we're just striving to get there. I believe that's where the Apostle Paul was living at the end of his life. And Robin and I have talked a lot about Paul's life. And to be honest with you, I don't think Paul was always there. But at the end of his life, I think he finally got to this place of ultimate joy as he found himself on death row in a Roman prison. And he sat down, sent this wonderful letter of thanks to the Philippians any day it could have been over for the Apostle Paul. Any day. 
The emperor gets mad, says, you know what? Let's wipe out all the Christians. Paul could have been gone any day. It could have been lights out. Life is over for the apostle Paul. Verse 21 of the first chapter of Philippians, Paul wrote these amazing words that really, to me, reveal this ultimate joyful experience that we all should be striving for. He says, for to me, living means living for Christ. And dying is even better. For me to live, I get to represent and experience Jesus Christ. To die, even better. In the message, which is a version of the Bible that's written in modern language, hear are the words of the Apostle Paul. Alive, I'm Christ's messenger. Dead, I'm his bounty. Life versus even more life. I can't lose. Mm. I'm locked in prison. Circumstances are bad. I don't know if I'm going to live or die, but either way, I'm a winner. I can't lose. He said, basically, I don't know which to choose. To be honest, I'd rather die and go to heaven, which is obviously better for me by far. But for your sake, the church at Philippi, it'd probably be good for me to stick around and teach y'all a little more. So that's probably what I'll choose to do. How do you be joyful no matter what? This ultimate joy to experience life from the view of a win or a greater win. That's what we ought to be striving for. To live as Christ, to die even better. I don't know about you, I'm not there yet. I got some things I want to do. But if tomorrow comes and I don't, and I go into eternity, to live would be all right. To die would be even better. Now, I know some of you are like, no, wait a minute. I saw some gifts underneath the tree. I want to see what that is. I got some stuff I want to do this Christmas. If he can hold off to January 3rd, you know, I got things. You ain't got the ultimate joy yet. It's okay. We're working on it. I don't know that I'm ready to go. I got stuff I want to do too. But man, to get to a place where I could say, to live is Jesus to die even better. That's why Paul could write to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He recognized that if I'm alive, I'm with Jesus. If I'm dead, I'm even closer to Jesus because I'm with him. It's going to be all right either way. I win either way. I still get wrapped up in things that don't matter. I certainly won't matter in the next life, but with the help and the power of God within my lifetime, I pray that I will find a place where I can say for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And at that moment, I know that my life will have brought glory to God, and I'll have a joy that is real no matter what. The musicians would come. If you'd all stand with me today, I pray that you're striving for the same thing. I want to experience the joy of the Lord in such a way that I see my setbacks as simply God opportunities, that I refuse to allow the little things of life to derail me, And ultimately, I strive for a place where I understand that dead or alive, I'm a winner either way. Because I'm living forever in the presence of the source of all my life. Everything I have comes from him. And if I'm living in his presence, how much closer to the source can you be? Speaking of the presence of God, to me, that's where all this hinges. If I'm not in his presence, I can't experience joy. And so when we talk about being in his presence, being the fulfillment of joy. I think it's always important that we recognize our responsibility to get into his presence. 
See, I know God is everywhere. I know he's omnipresent, that there's no place I can go to escape him. He's always there. But there's something different about being in the presence of God and that the world is in the presence of God. We can't get outside of his presence. But actually having a heart connection to God in his presence, right? When we have those moments where we are alone in the presence of God, where it's just us and God, and we filter out the world and we connect to him in a real and tangible way, there's something powerful about that. And if you haven't experienced that, I want to encourage you today to recognize it doesn't take much. We're already in his presence because he is everywhere. All it takes is a willingness to say, you know what, God? I am so thankful. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Enter into his courts with praise. God, I honor you today. I couldn't have made it this morning without you. I recognize that I am worthless without you. I need your help in my life today. God, I'm so thankful your presence is real and in this place. An acknowledgement of God's greatness. That's all it takes. The Bible says literally he inhabits the praises of his people. In other words, when I begin to praise him, he just lends his ear. He puts his attention on his on people that praise him. You like to be praised? Anybody here like really like people talk bad about them? Anyone? I mean, it's dark out there, so if you're raising your hand, I can't see it anyway. But if you like people to talk bad about you, say amen. Thank the Lord. I was really worried about that. But if you... If you enjoy people saying good things about you, imagine how much it gets God's attention when we begin to declare how great he is and how good he is and how wonderful he is and how blessed we are to serve him and how honoring it is that we give our lives to him. When we began to declare praises unto God, his presence lends its ear. He comes a little closer. He gets a little mindful of us. And suddenly we are in his presence where there's fullness of joy. And so today I just want to challenge you. I'm going to open this altar. You know we come to the altar around here and give you an opportunity to respond to the presence of God. But I'm going to open this altar today. But as you come, I want you to come with one thing in mind. What is the thing I'd change if I could? And as you come, I want you to surrender it to God. And as you come, surrendering it to God, say, now what? What do I do with this, God? What is it that you want with this? Because I promise you, if you will give it to him, he will use it for something great. In 2012, my wife and I went through a terrible season of loss. I've talked about this a lot. I'm not going to go into the details. But during that time, if, if, if it, you could have a crisis of faith, I think I had one. I questioned everything. I wondered what God was, why God even cared about me at all because everything in my life was falling to pieces. And I remember feeling so far from God. And I remember laying in my office one day on the floor, just crying out to God, just crying, God, I don't know where you are. I don't feel you. I don't see you. I don't understand what is going on in my life. And I didn't feel anything, you know, some people tell you, oh, I was laying on the floor and suddenly the presence of God was so strong and I couldn't get up. I didn't have none of that. None of it. I just was left in a pile of mush questioning everything. But in that moment, God began to work and I began to see him position things and change things and do things. And sometimes things didn't, still didn't work out the way I thought they would. But God began to make changes in my life. And before I knew it, 
the very areas that I felt the most loss in and the very areas that I felt the worst about myself in was the areas that God began to use me to touch other people's lives. And I began to help people through circumstances that were awful because I had already been through those circumstances and God had brought me through. And would I change it if I could? There are moments that during the time I certainly would have changed all of it. I would have never gone through any of that. I don't want any of that again. But when I consider what God allowed me and how God changed me because of it, I'm glad he didn't take it away from me. And so right now, you got something in your mind, the thing that you'd change if you could. I just want you to surrender it to God today and say, God, I would change this if I could, but since I can't, what do you want to do with it? What do you want to do with this thing that I have? Because if I can surrender it to God and he can use it for his glory, I can find joy. Paul said, hey, I'm stuck in prison, but the gospel's still going forward. For that, I have joy. I'm, prison, I'm in prison to this thing and I don't know how to get over it, but God, I'm giving it to you and I'm gonna find joy in your presence as a result. As they began to sing, this altar's open. I encourage you today to come. Bring that thing with you in your mind, whatever it is, and let's surrender it to God today. Bless your name.
belongs to him. Yes, I will. Whatever you're asking of me, God, yes, I will surrender it. Whatever you're looking for in my life, God, I want to be in it. Whatever you're trying to do, God, I surrender to you today. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Before I let you go today, let me pray with you. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to be in your presence, to experience you and know you. I thank you, Lord, for the people of God today who have responded to your word. Lord, let your word plant itself in our life today, God, and let us recognize that you are at work even when we don't see it, that the things that are fa- we are facing in our life, God, that they have purpose and they have meaning because you make them so. And God, today I ask you, Lord, to every person that's in this place facing circumstances that seem overwhelming, God, I pray that you'd give them strength to look that circumstance in the face and say, now, what are you trying to accomplish here, God? What are you doing in my life? What is it that you're trying to accomplish? And for those circumstances that seem small or trivial, God, I pray that you'd give us the grace to say, so what? It really doesn't matter. Let me surrender those to you. And even as I say it today, God, I know there are people in this room who are facing real stuff, negative reports from doctors, negative reports from this place or that. And God, they're very real, and we're struggling with very real things, God. But I pray today that your presence would rise up in the midst of us. And in the midst of those circumstances, God, we would recognize that if we can be alone in your presence, if we can get in touch with you, God, we can find joy. We can find a calm reassurance that you are never leaving us. You never forsake us. You are always with us. We thank you for that. And God, at this season of, of joy that we experience at Christmas, God, I pray that you would be a reminder every day to us, Lord, that it is you that gives us hope. It is you that is our source. It is you that provides us with the joy of the season. We thank you for it all in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Let's clap our hands to the Lord together all over this house. Hey, thanks for watching. Be sure to subscribe to this channel so you never miss one of our videos or live streams in the future. Also, take a moment and share this with a friend. Be sure to join us 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. each week live as we celebrate Jesus together here at Life Church. God bless you.